0: AI and ChatGPT in law firms. Hello and welcome to this 39 Essex Chambers AI and Law podcast with Catherine Apps and David Mitchell. I'm Catherine Apps KC and I am joined in this episode by Patrick Brody, who's a partner and head of employment, engagement and equality at law firm RPC. Patrick is heavily involved in RPC's People Advisory Group that looks to the future of work, including the motivation and engagement of their lawyers and operational teams. He's also worked with the leadership teams of various organisations, including law firms, on the future impact of large language model generative AI on employment and workforces generally. He also tells me that he reflects very fondly on when he first coded his first game of Snakes and Ladders in Pascal. Thank you so much for joining me, Patrick.
1: Thanks, Catherine. Lovely to be here.
0: Well, Pascal, that's quite a blast from the past. But as I understand that you've also more recently had a go at using ChatGPT4. How is that for you?
1: It's amazing, isn't it? On one level, it's, if you think about it, it's incredible that ChatGPT over such a short period has blazed into our lexicon. And it's sort of struck that the media and in turn the public have just embraced the brand and the technology immediately. And when I reflect on it, I think what's amazing... Again, statistically, within two months, it claimed a hundred million users. Again, I ponder whether this is because it resonated with, on one level, our basic instincts of fear, intrigue, opportunity, and then looking at that, after all, at one end of the spectrum, AI in its broader sense is seen by some as a well as an existential risk. Then, at the other end, it will resolve climate change, poverty, and find answers to medical conditions. Like the reality is the truth is more nuanced than that and sits probably somewhere in between the two so it's for us as adopters users creators and for some as regulators to shape that future and then looking at chat in its simplest terms it's as you said it's generative AI large language model it's again what's striking is that though the genesis and the origins of those models reach back to the 1950s and 60s pleased to say sometime before when I was first born. It's only now that they've hit the public psyche.
0: Well, let's have a little bit of a chat about how do large language models work? What is it that ChatGPT is doing and what is it that it's not doing?
1: Okay, I accept that there's a huge oversimplification in terms of the description, which I'm now going to attach to ChatGPT. It's a large language model and that's often shortened to LLMs. And those are processes that attribute value to vocabulary found in bodies of text vast bodies of text and they work on probability distribution of words so for chat data is scraped from a source for example Wikipedia or book corpus and its natural language process then synthesizes the data retrieved say that could be a block of text assessing the probability of words, appearing alongside each other. That's then combined with maybe a next sentence prediction or an assessment of the most relevant data. The information is then analysed and it's integrated. That then produces a blended written answer. Now, the model itself is in a continuous state of evolution that requires constant instruction tuning, reinforcement learning. And importantly, there's a review and improvement by human intervention. And as is often the case with new technology, there's often a split between the advocate disciples and the reductive refusers. I accept this is a highly supportive end of the activism scale. We'll say that LLMs will they'll solve novel and challenging tasks. And yes, law is one of those, with also the potential to an amazingly understand natural language. Most people, however, would say that LLMs simply don't hold that understanding, being only a process that reviews, edits, and reassembles existing text and data to produce generatively something new. Now, that something new may be indistinguishable from natural text or writing, but it's entirely dependent on the existence of the prior data. Even when I reflect on what I've just said, I sometimes wonder... If there's a separate question to be asked, not one for today. But that question is, what does natural intelligence and natural language really mean?
0: These are certainly sort of big questions. And I think you're right to say that it's not just the legal world, but the rest of the world has become very interested in the use of these LLMs. But if we can just now talk a little bit about its uses and how can it be used for clients' work? Have you used it yet in client work? Are there things that we need to be aware of in terms of using ChatGPT? Just as an anecdote, I was doing a case where a witness, an expert witness actually for the first time, told the tribunal midway through his evidence that before coming into the witness box, he'd actually checked the answer of the question he'd been asked against ChatGPT and the kind of look of horror on the judges' faces as you just launched into this. And they were very much on that kind of refusers end of your spectrum of advocate disciples versus refusers. But do you want to just tell me about what you think you can use it for for client work and what it is that you can't use it for in client work, given the nature of the model?
1: So It's it's a fascinating anecdote, isn't it, in terms of all of us potentially being lawyers. I'll come back to an anecdote later on, which is in relation to a US lawyer who used ChatGPT to produce their own submissions and the consequences of that. I think the first issue in relation to using ChatGPT is just the risk of disclosing confidential information. So I'll raise that now, but I think I'll probably come back to that later on. It's also worth bearing in mind that one of the significant risks, and that's because ChatGPT has been programmed to be plausible and assertive, is that we as readers are persuaded by the model's directness, and that in itself suggests accuracy and truth. So. Conversely, we as humans, our language and vocabulary is much more nuanced. For example, I'll look to explain a way where it exists, ambiguity or uncertainty. I'll read information. I'll look to distill facts. and In doing that, I'll identify points of doubt or indecision, but ChatGPT, and this is recognized by OpenAI, can write answers that appear to be believable. And that's because of the confidence of the language used, but in fact, are incorrect. So that, again, that's something we should all bear in mind. And as I said, we've read the story of the US lawyer who's written submissions to the court contain cases that just didn't exist. And euphemistically, and I love the language, those inaccurate assertions, to reduce the impact, those inaccurate assertions will be called hallucinations. But these inaccuracies, they're currently an inherent risk built into the model. The most Obvious reason is because the model is based on, as I said, data that holds no definitive source truth. Going back to where the data comes from, for example, Wikipedia or Book Corpus. We also have OpenAI's own criticism of ChatGPT in that it can be excessively verbose or overuse certain phrases. We're told that this is because the model's trainers prefer longer phrases so that text looks fuller and more comprehensive. As a lawyer, I'm trying to understand the concern and criticism about that. I guess also another example of how this just isn't an example of how human biases appear in data. Now, that's well publicised, but those biases inevitably become woven into answers and responses. We all have to remind ourselves again that the data, because it's open source, carries the biases of the original writers and therefore risks being amplified and published more widely as truth. For example, other AI models seeking to predict the best candidate for a leadership role had a bias towards middle-aged white males. After all, the predominant characteristic based on historic data of people in corporate leadership roles was white men. And that takes us to the point of, in reality, garbage in, garbage out when you're trying to produce information based on incomplete or inaccurate information. I think... Put simply, there needs to be a clear and absolute ban on inputting any client data into any open source language, large language model, whether ChatGPT or any other platform. And I don't think there can be any ambiguity on that, certainly not within a regulated environment. Now, that's not to say that lawyers and operational teams shouldn't explore the capabilities of ChatGPT. I think we all have to be inquisitive, seeing what's possible and equally where the boundaries of knowledge and capability sit coming back. The use of client information is just no-go. And when testing the results produced by chat GPC, and that's reflecting the observations and the models programming to be plausible, I'll always go back to the underlying primary source materials. In reality, I treat it in the same way as my teachers would have done when reading my first year's maths homework. Is probably a goodish start. It's missing some of the important calculations. Broadly, I have an understanding of the key themes, but flawed clearly by borrowing from the work of three friends, all of whom have made the same mistake. So alongside concerns about breaches of confidentiality and inaccuracy of information, there's also in my mind the real worry that the content produced breaches copyright or promotes misleading or harmful views or outcomes.
0: Well, that's really interesting. So there's a lot for law firms to think about with the potential biases, possibly even potential unlawful discrimination, confidentiality protections, and sort of maybe using it as more of a possible sanity check when drafting things like policies or sort of standard form documents, rather than treating it as a source for particularly legal submissions or something. But what do you think a law firm should think about when they're drafting AI policies? And I know you've been quite involved in doing this kind of work already. What are your top tips? like
1: many things, I'll probably break it down into three parts. Reflecting the point I mentioned earlier, be clear that there's a absolute prohibition on the use of any confidential information and that external lnm's can't be used to produce legal advice. Second, explain the limitations and risks which are inherent within LM models, so inaccuracy, copyright. Third, I think giving context to the concern. So provide some of the background to how the model operates, I think it's really important. But I can't move away from the fact that we should let people explore and understand how it works, not least because who knows where the great next idea might come from. So alongside, I think, the policy, law firms will be looking to build what I describe as an AI culture that encourages its people to embrace the potential of AI. So law firms will be looking to empower their lawyers and operational teams to work with AI. And in terms of the conversations I've had with law firms and leadership teams in corporates, you can distill those potentially down to three suggested steps in how you might embed that AI culture into an organisation. When teams are working on early stage developmental AI projects, and that's before any adoption, it helps that they recognise that both they and the AI technology will fail will get things wrong, but that's okay because often that failure is the very key to experimentation leading to innovation. So if sensible guardrails are put in place, employees will be able to work safely and with confidence. Second one is AI has the power to make work and the experience of work better. Now we can only achieve that as individuals by adopting the view that we want to learn and we want to immerse ourselves in its opportunities and possibilities. Now, this takes time. So law firms should be looking to encourage their lawyers to treat the acquisition of AI knowledge as a continuous exercise. It's not a one-off learning event. And working as teams on solutions equally will help drive engagement and that sense of community. And then, actually, finally, it's what I'd describe as the element of embracing our inner child. Be inquisitive rather than fearful. Or look, put it differently, learn to climb trees. So we should all test, challenge and experiment with AI. And I think this will help lawyers understand the art of the possible and in turn discover better ways of working with AI.
0: You don't often hear lawyers talking about play in their day-to-day work or having permission to get things wrong. Is Lawyers were often very cautious people and try extremely hard in our day-to-day work not to get things wrong but of course with something that's new as you say tech people are very comfortable with getting things wrong that's how the world of innovation works and there's quite a cultural shift for us lawyers if we're going to be using this to actually go through that transitional phase as you say of learning to climb trees albeit perhaps not while carrying our clients confidential information while we're doing so. People have talked about, can AI actually replace what lawyers do? I know you suggested for policies right at the moment not to use it for providing legal advice, but that very much is being talked about. Do you think that lawyers can be in the future replaced by AI? And is there something that we do as lawyers that's fundamentally different from what computers do? Or do you think that it is all replicable?
1: Just picking up that observation, I think for now, there's an appropriate reservation about using chat GPT or large language models in relation to providing legal advice. Over time, that may well change. I think there are issues of confidentiality which have to be overcome. To the extent that models are held internally within organisations, that may well be different. I think artificial narrow intelligence, and within that I include LLMs, will progressively perform more of the process-driven tasks. And increasingly, that will include knowledge and research. And Also, it's going to embrace administrative tasks. So our work as lawyers, which is founded on data and information that's capable of being analysed and synthesised or redesigned as a technological process will be removed. I think they'll be removed from our to-do list, ultimately. So the more complex and challenging responsibilities will remain, the preserve of the lawyers. That will include tasks where different tools, behaviours and source materials are required to achieve an outcome. And when I look at AI, most of AI is limited to a specific accept, albeit often highly complex task, and may not currently have the capability to draw together wider disparate and distinct cognitive tasks. So that's a safe haven for lawyers there. Equally, I think the human qualities of empathy, sympathy, and understanding, those will remain critical to what a lawyer does. So if you think about it, we seek to persuade, encourage, coerce others to support us in our goals, or alternatively be moved to those goals. This is the case whether we're engaged in litigation or looking to shape a deal or transaction. So we look to influence others. That's clients, it could be other lawyers, it could be colleagues, or indeed it could be judges. This is as much about fact as the emotional interplay. Emotion, the reality is emotion has a much greater impact on success of a negotiation than the facts. After all, why did so many of us follow Trump or were persuaded by Boris? Like it or not, we're persuaded by stories. For now, I think this quality won't be reproduced by generative AI. So I take comfort in that, though my knowledge may be taken from me, my humanity remains important and intact. Oddly enough, I think my story is the story of every person in their 50s, my memory fading, the realisation that past experience is the only thing I can rely on. But I do have a worry. And I personally, I'm not built to work continually at maximum capacity, engaged in the most difficult tasks. I think it's why athletes, not that I'm comparing myself to an Olympian, a alone park runner, have downtime or taper. In my world, I seek out tasks that give me that moment of calm and respite. Now, if I'm working harder, faster, and to a greater intensity, I ask myself, when will I find those moments? And if I can't find those moments, for how long will I keep up the pace before I break?
0: Yes, I think sometimes people think of AI and computers as a way to replace humans because they don't tire. But it's interesting hearing what you say about, well, actually quite a lot of what we do at the kind of higher levels of our job is that sort of subtle persuading based on actually how we think another human re- will react and using those sort of very human skills backed up by the law. But in order to advise our clients on strategic way forwards and also to communicate and actually get the job done in terms of day to day work. But of course, if you take away all of the training tasks, all of the reading through loads and loads and loads of policies to then put together another policy or doing the deep dive into the law library, does this technology have a potential to impact on solicitors in training? And will we end up getting different lawyers at the end of a training that's involved this technology than we would have done, say, 10, 15 years ago?
1: That's a really interesting question, actually one which all law firms will be putting their minds to. I guess I initially have two observations to, probably more by way of questions, which is, firstly, will law firms train lawyers if what's needed is to elevate skills based on experience in particular social and emotional expertise? Secondly, if traditionally lawyers have learned their skills and profession through research, knowledge-based advisory work on the more straightforward tasks, if those are removed because they're absorbed by AI What's the design of the training environment to shape our lawyers of the future? Two really interesting questions. Now, on the first point, I think there's anecdotal evidence that trainee numbers are reduced. I'm not suggesting that's because of AI. And some firms are actively reflecting on their requirements for trainees at all. So will AI accelerate that thinking? But equally, training the lawyers of our future, I just don't believe that should sit with a few. There's a much broader industry imperative for all of us to support roots into the law i know we're very far from this outcome but often we see change when it's too late with the second question training programs i think they'll have to change and evolve creating opportunities and environments where the skills of the future can be learned explored and tested interesting i wonder whether this is about personal self-interest but what's the role of the retired lawyer to act as a coach or a mentor so those are the people who know hold that knowledge of sort of the more subtle elements of being a lawyer. And if future lawyers' opportunities to train and develop their skills and expertise are initially more narrow, will a more defined and dedicated coach role help?
0: I wonder whether we'll start having people actually thinking a bit differently. I think all of us are to some degree the product of our experiences. And those experiences for you and I involve quite a lot of hours of reading into to things and paper reading into things in terms of understanding how they work, but also that of listening to more senior people do it in practice and it's really that it has to be a blend of both I think doing just the book work without seeing I think you end up becoming a different lawyer but if a lot of those basic tasks are essentially replaced by computers what people will be seeing and what people will be doing as their day-to-day might really change it begs some quite sort of fundamental questions about what it is that we really do as lawyers what do you think are the big issues that firms will need to think about of looking forwards to the future
1: I think if we think about law firms as being people, as personalities and characters, we all exist in the fear of missing out or being left behind. And that's been left behind in the, what I could describe as the AI arms race. And we ask ourselves, will another firm gain an advantage by being maybe an early effective adopter of usable technology? Well, that technology we're ultimately aiming for the holy grail, which is driving efficiency whilst maintaining quality. But equally, I think firms do you have to manage that buzz properly, not being distracted by the noise, and instead, I think, focus on proper testing and adoption. That takes time. Equally, the robustness of a firm's AI strategy will be its foundation blocks. It's built on the integrity of its data. There's a caveat in terms of it using an independent third party as well. Now, if you think about data, that's the lifeblood of any LLM. So if the data is corrupted or it's incomplete or it's too small, then the model and the product will be equally tainted. So firms are looking more closely to test the integrity and usability of their data. I'm seeing the rise of AI task forces. We have to come with a name. AI task forces across firms, departments, and teams that are looking to see how AI can be integrated into the day-to-day tasks and responsibilities of and be adopted by lawyers and also wider operational teams. Firms and that people are also having to ask really searching and critical questions about the meaning of legal services, especially as the services move ever towards this, that's a synthesis of technology, which includes LLMs and human. And Naturally, the discussions have accelerated across the legal profession, that's forcing some quite profound reflection and change. The ultimate goal is to drive efficiency, and that's by reducing the time in a simple level to produce a document or provide advice, whilst maintaining the accuracy and the integrity of the advice. Reducing production time will rely on generative AI, whilst accuracy initially will depend on human intervention analysis and equally training as well. But with that analysis and training, you'd hope that the quality becomes embedded into the model with a ever decreasing level of human engagement. So ultimately you're achieving better advice in less time. Now that could be terrifying or it could be spectacularly exciting. And now I suspect the end of the telescope through which any one of us is observing this world, whether it's excitement or fear, depends ultimately on whether the new world order creates or removes our own personal opportunities. So law firm leaders are, yes, they're embracing the adoption of generative AI, LLMs, knowing that there's a significant shift in the working world. The technologists have been talking about this moment for decades. So they're in the limelight, probably wondering why many professional services firms didn't move sooner. I'm seeing law firms working ever more closely with third-party providers, who often hold the expertise. um, And also that's in the form of research and development capabilities, hugely important. Also, that form of a partnership potentially better manages technology and regulatory risk. So law firms, they recognise that change is going to become the new norm. But equally, at the same time, in doing that, they look to take advantages of opportunities created by new technologies, all of which are going to be designed to take forward their businesses. So lawyers, business teams, business leaders have to become comfortable with evolution and development, especially at an increasing rate. For some, this will create uncertainty and fear, especially as law has traditionally, I think it's traditionally reflected certainty and stability. So I'm struck that for many of us coming towards the end of our careers, we'll have only experienced one career and quite probably only one employer. This may well alter. So in turn, firms have to recognise and respond to the anxiety that arrives hand in hand with change.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think that there's an awful lot going on in society generally. As you say, younger generations have often moved through several careers before they come to law. And often those people can be extremely effective lawyers because of the experience that they bring of other areas. And also particularly if they've been a, a client or they've actually been in receipt of legal services, people can have a really interesting and helpful perspective that helps them develop as really good lawyers. But when you've got a really disruptive technology as well, that's really new And also lawyers living with uncertainty, it's not the most natural of bedfellows. But it's interesting also hearing what you say about the sort of what there's positivity about and what there's potential negativity about. And also particularly in terms of us thinking about it as a career that includes people and people will need that resilience to be able to keep a career and keep earning for their entire working lives. And that is a perspective I think I've not seen so much reported elsewhere but coming to the kind of punchline question, one of the questions that we've been asking all of our contributors to this podcast series is a scale question. And the question is on a scale of zero to 10, where zero is the most pessimistic you could be, and 10 is that you're the most optimistic and you think that AI is just going to solve all of the world's problems. Where on that scale would you put yourself and why? Can I come
1: back to a observation in relation to the concerns about... Actually, it's the mental health of lawyers moving into the future. And one of the things that I think law firms really have to focus in on is creating environments which are supportive of their people in times of real change and potential anxiety. And it's almost for three reasons. The first one is I'm always sensitive to the fact that AI, not explained or understood by workforces, it creates vulnerability. And for me, that's a fear of many in the workplace, especially if a positive countervision isn't provided in relation to AI, is that AI is all consuming its ability to change lives and remove jobs. The language of existential risk is prevalent. So if I'm in a law firm where AI will be an increasing feature of its operational capabilities, I want to know what this means for my future. And if I don't understand what it means or have control over its effect, then my anxiety about long-term job security increases. Will I have a job? And what does that job look like? Put in simple terms. Secondly, and it's a point I touched on earlier, if AI makes a lawyer's role more complex, complicated, and ever more challenging with the speed of delivery, then when do I rest? And without that rest, how do I otherwise keep going? And then... Across all of that, if law firms maintain hybrid and flexible working arrangements supported by AI and technology, and look, there are really good reasons why we should maintain hybrid flexible working arrangements. But if we maintain those working arrangements, there's a risk of further isolation for some. And I think combining those features are quite challenging. So that's the health point. Equally, I recognise major technological revolutions, they lead to job migration, they lead to displacement. It's often hard to begin with, but new roles in economic certainty, they return. So if I'm looking back at history, they return. And I think if law firms can create a really clear vision and a focus on their people through training and support, that change will be smoother. If we can effectively manage the demands placed on the people in the workplace, then that synthesis of technological efficiencies and human empathy, for me, that chases away the clouds. So I'm eight.
0: You're an eight after all that pessimism you're an eight wow <laughs> but,
1: and there's a but in all of it there's a real but in it i think it requires real leadership within the industry and i think if that's not available i'm a six
0: that's so interesting so the key to getting all of this computer stuff right is actually the humans and the human leadership and without that you will fall down the scale towards the kind of pessimistic end of the zeros
1: and said as a true employment lawyer who's embedded in the humanity around us.
0: Excellent well thank you so much for joining me Patrick that's been really really interesting and thank you to anyone who's listened to this this is the 39 Essex Chambers AI and Law podcast the episode on AI and Chachi BT in law firms if you like this episode please feel free to go to 39essex.com where there are other episodes from this podcast series thank you very much.